Okay, we are testing now. This is yeah. Oh no, нет, нет, да нет, да нет. Поближе. Привет, я Алена. Okay, hello. Меня слышно? Okay, da potatoes it. Potatoes it. Potatoes it. No, подойдет. 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 Да? Подойдет. Potatoes it. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Okay, guys, welcome to episode one, no, no, near 251 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm with my friend, Aliono Katerova. Welcome to the show. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited for you to be here. This is my first in-person recording in months since quarantine started. Well, it's been very lonely here, right? For a long time. Yeah, and you become my best friend somehow <laughs> in Sri Lanka, <laughs> even though we just met here randomly. Well, I hope it's not just because there was nobody else to become friend with. <laughs> well, there, I mean, there's other people, but yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so let's let's tell everyone how we met. I think the, uh, I remember the exact date. Uh, so it was like my second day in Sri Lanka, and I texted where the people were working from, and then you replied that you were working from this co- uh, what was it? Good Story uh, coffee shop mm. in Belegama, and I went there and. Apparently, like, I was so surprised because it turned out to be a super Russian place. Mm. And you remember I came in and there were, like, all these Russians around speaking Russian. And just I couldn't really figure out where I was because I haven't been in Russia for a long time. And uh, living abroad and being a nomad and, you know, uh, hearing English, I don't know, 99% of the time. And all of a sudden I was surrounded by all these Russians. And then there was Johnny, like, in the middle of this whole Russian gang. <laughs> So it turns out I'm actually more Russian than Aliona now. Oh, yeah, because Johnny throws in Russian words in every English sentence he says. <laughs> and I started learning from him and doing the same. <laughs> yeah, because you are, you are Russian. You were born in Russia, but yeah. you've been living in Denmark for how long now? Well, I lived in Russia for 18 years, and my, both my parents are Russian. And when I was 18, I moved to Denmark and studied there and lived there for 14 years until I started traveling like three years ago. Wow. When was the last time you spoke Danish? Can you, can you say something like welcome to uh, Sri Lanka or welcome to the podcast or something? I spoke Danish just a couple of days ago. I had to call the tax office and I had like half an hour conversation with them. So yeah, okay. I have been practicing. <laughs> so pretend, pretend I'm the tax office, right? H- hello. I don't, I don't know. Is that, is that what they say? Uh, hi. 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 <laughs> That's very easy. Uh, should I say something yeah, specific yeah, yeah. or? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm in the tax office. Hi. This is Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hi, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm This is the most stupid thing oh, ever. But. Fantastic. Um, uh, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Uh, Manga talk. Sell <laughs> talk. Yeah, okay, that, that's all the Danish you know. Let's move, let's move back to Russian. <laughs> That's so, easier. Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny that it's you, you're very different, I think, than the typical Russian traveler I meet or even the typical Russian tourist. And it's funny because I because I'm learning Russian. I'm like super like trying to uh, assimilate myself into the Russian culture. But you're probably more I don't know what you are. You're not you know, I guess you're more. Are you, do you feel more Danish? Do you feel like do you feel like you fit in? I feel like I'm majorly confused uh, because uh, I'm both Russian and Danish, uh, depending on the situation and 
and um, whatever my surroundings. Uh, at the same time, I feel that I will never fit in in either of the societies because I have too much of the other as well. So yeah, it's everything and nothing at the same time. Uh, but I think like. Uh, it's so weird, uh, as we talked a couple of days ago, here in Arugan Bay, you have more Russian friends than I do. So, like, whenever I travel, I never look for Russians or Danish. Like, I have very international uh, friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are just surrounded by Russians all the time. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's literally because I've been trying to practice speaking Russian. So I get so excited when I meet Russian people and I can just, you know, talk, you know, in the few words I know to, to practice. While I understand while most travelers are trying to avoid their own um, their own nationality. Like, for example, most Germans I know, when they see other Germans, they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go the other way. You know, like, oh, hello. And then they just leave because they're like, okay, I don't want to spend my vacation in <laughs> Thailand or Sri Lanka with just a bunch of other Germans. Yeah, I think that's also. Uh, this is the first country uh, I come to where there are so many Russians. Usually most of the places where I travel or where I'm staying uh, maybe I would meet one or two Russians in a couple of months but I don't meet as many as here. Here there's like, I think Russians are number one uh, tourist business here, right? Well what's funny is so last year when I came to Sri Lanka by myself I really wanted to meet other digital nomads, people to co-work with or just hang out with and there was none. There was zero. I think the only person I met in a month of being here was a YouTuber, uh, a monkey abroad, this guy named Kevin, cool guy, but it was hard to meet him. Right? I just had to like find him somehow. And then on my last week, I met one Russian guy and he said, oh, come to my, um, my, my villa. We have some friends meeting tonight. They work online as well. And I was like, oh, cool. I could finally meet some other nomads. And I get there and there's like 25 Russian digital nomads. And I'm like, how? And, and they all lived in Waligama in the same city as me. All hiding in the same villa. <laughs> well, most of them didn't live in the villa. They just would hang out there because it was part of uh, this kind of co-living situation. And But they were just friends of friends. And I was like, I've looked all over the internet, like Facebook, Meetup, just kind of like, you know, wherever you can hang out. I've never even seen any of you and they're like oh because we just use like a private telegram group yeah that's what i was about to say like next time you should check telegram <laughs> but it's like a private telegram group. I, don't even, I think you have to first meet someone to get like invited right i don't know but you can actually <coughs> search on telegram to find some groups and remember when we came here you were the one who introduced me to the Vedigama russian telegram group oh that's so funny and you were like aliona are you in this group i'm like uh, what is this group <laughs> Yeah, so for us, I like I don't know English-speaking digital digital nomads. We use Facebook groups primarily, Facebook events primarily, and then in some places maybe a WhatsApp group. But it turns out there's this huge community of Russian long-term travelers, nomads, expats that are in this entire separate world. Yeah, it's like uh, apparently there are a lot of people in Russia who uh, go abroad, mostly Bali or uh, Sri Lanka, to spend the winter. So they're here for like six months a year. Uh, and then the other six months they would be in Russia. And now they're literally opening coffee shops like Good Story in Walegama. Yeah, where it's just full of Russians and yeah, it's primary language. And I was so surprised. I couldn't believe I was in Sri Lanka. I felt I was like in Moscow. Yeah, little Moscow. <laughs> little Moscow, just very hot. <laughs> so how, how did you, because I, I think there's a lot of like Russians who would like to first, you know, either learn English, second to move to a European country like Denmark, then third to get a high paying job. How did you plan all this? Like, what, what, like, how did it all happen? 
I think I the biggest advantage was that it wasn't planned at all. Uh, I was really just taking it step by step. First of all, like I was studying in Russia, but I really wanted to study abroad. And uh, I was lucky to find a really good education program in Denmark. Uh, and they accepted me and even give, gave me a grant, which allowed me to study there. How did you find it? And how did they, like, how did they give you a grant? What's the criteria? It was back in like uh, when I was searching for it back in 2002, uh, when the internet in Russia was really not a big thing yet and <laughs> it was kind of interesting because yeah you're just searching all over internet for some kind of uh, educational programs but most of the things were still offline or not yeah. as developed and do you remember were you searching in, in English or in Russian most probably in English okay and how did you learn English uh, again I was super lucky because my uh, school uh, had uh, focus on languages mm-hmm. we were learning uh, English and German as well which I managed to forget completely <laughs> <laughs> since then but <laughs> at least the English stayed with me and as soon as I finished school I got a Cambridge uh, certificate uh, in what, advanced what English okay. uh, yeah, it's like you know a certificate or basically a test which proves for uh, that you speak really good English okay. and with that you can uh, apply for different educational programs abroad okay. yeah I've always said that learning English really is the key for most people in countries that they don't want to be in <laughs> or don't have the opportunities to you know to I don't want to say escape but to have a different opportunity yeah. to move abroad whether it's to the US or to Europe and get a job you know, or develop a career that pays significantly more than they would in Ukraine or Russia or you know a, lo- a lot of like, lower paying countries yeah I think like especially now it's so much easier to learn English online you, like you have all these resources you have YouTube you have all the whatever uh, movies and everything you can watch online in native language while uh, like when I was learning English I remember I managed to buy a bag of what was it VHS, right? The video cassettes uh, with an, a movie in English. Uh, I think it was The Net or something, you know. Oh. And this was the only movie in English I had and I just watched it over and over and wow. over again because it was the only thing, like like the only real exposure to native language. Uh, so to learn the proper pronunciation because no matter how good your teacher at school is, it's still a Russian teacher with still, you know, Russian accent and everything. And, okay, yeah. my students, t- today we learn English. <laughs> She was actually really good. She was <laughs> yeah. in the States and everything, but still, like, you want to hear native speakers, yeah, right? And now it's so easy because you can talk on Skype, you can do all, you know, sorts of conversation exchanges, you can travel. Like, back in the days, we just couldn't afford yeah. to go abroad. So, good, yeah, good job taking the initiative, because I'm sure you got tired of watching the net over and over again. It was a good movie, but I wouldn't <laughs> watch it more than once. So you basically, you know, learned English through school, but a lot of people will go to school for English and never learn it. But then you also self-studied, and then you took the initiative to find these programs, even though they probably weren't very popular then, right? Not in Russia, for sure. So in Russia, there was this uh, idea that you have to be super crazy rich uh, to be able to go abroad and study there, which was really not my case. Uh, Just common family, both my parents, scientists, uh, working for whatever factories, you know. So in the U.S., if you're a scientist you're probably making a lot of money because you're working for big pharma and you're getting all these uh you know these kickbacks but in russia it wasn't like that especially after the 90s no Uh, like before the 90s scientists were uh, you know valuable people but during the 90s when the whole uh, uh, soviet union and our system collapsed and uh, it was all about uh, free market and you know whoever could buy and sell more and uh, get as much profit from selling as possible those were the ones who were, were winning and all the education and knowledge like uh, basically all the school teachers all the uh, you know medical workers scientists uh, they were getting like seriously 
for like pennies, you know, they were not properly paid at all. And these are like the power of the yeah. nation. What do you think the average salary was back then per month for, for like a scientist? Maybe like $200 or something. Yeah. And like, it's really hard for me to uh, say it now because first of all, the exchange rate has changed mm-hmm. so much. And uh, also the prices in Russia have changed so much since then. Yeah. Okay. But definitely it wasn't enough to send you abroad to, to study in a foreign university. And definitely not to Denmark, which is like one of the most expensive mm-hmm. European countries. And basically the conclusion was I had to pay for everything myself mm-hmm. and I had to find a job there uh, as soon as I got there. So like my parents could uh, give me enough money for one one month of life in Denmark. And one then month. One month, yeah. They said, Vault here <laughs> is is everything we can give you. You have one month to figure out your life. Yes, and they also gave me a credit card, which was oh. super cool back then. Like, yeah. I had never had a credit card uh-huh. before. And uh, they gave me a credit card saying, here is the money uh, to buy a flight back. Also, like, back then you couldn't buy it online, so you could have had to mm. go to an actual, you know, travel agency and buy the ticket. But yeah, with the money to buy a flight back uh, in case you need it, we'll give you the PIN code when you need it. <laughs> oh, so you had the card, but you couldn't even use it yet. I couldn't use it. So I had the money just in case I, yeah, I ran out of money during this month. I didn't have a job and I had to fly back home. That was all my backup plan. Wow. Okay. So you get to Denmark, you have this card without the PIN and you have a month. What, what did you find a job? Um, I did the most stupid thing ever from my parents' perspective. Uh, the first thing I did, I bought a bicycle. Okay. And <laughs> when I'm on the phone with my parents... Again, no internet, no Skype. Yeah. So they called me once a week for like 15 minutes. Uh, and they called me and like, hi, how are you doing? How has your week been? Like, tell us everything about Denmark and your new life. I'm like, uh, you know what? I bought a bicycle. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, their all their future dreams about my, uh, you know, life in Denmark just crashed. So I spent like, I don't know, I think it was 20% or 30% of the money uh, they gave me on that bicycle. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, a person without a bicycle in Denmark is just not a person. It's like not a human at all. Uh, they listened to me. They didn't really believe what I was saying, but okay. More more because you just can't get anywhere or what, what was the reason? Basically, everybody bikes. Okay. You know, it's like, uh, especially I was living in the beginning, not in Copenhagen, but in a smaller city. And uh, all the public transportation is very expensive uh, and I just didn't have money for it. Uh, so you either walk, which can be half an hour, it can be one hour or wherever you want to go or like even the closest supermarket to me was like 15 minutes walk and uh, or you get a bicycle so i got this bicycle and like three weeks later uh, one of my friends told me about a job uh, where you deliver newspapers super early in the morning like uh, from 4 a.m to 7 a.m on a bicycle on a bicycle exactly so you put like two bags uh, on the back of the bike full of newspapers and just go around uh, the private houses and deliver newspapers do you have that in russia no 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 in russia it just sounded like a completely crazy job like yeah of course there is like post delivery but usually in Russia back in the days at least it was like you know some call it the uh, women uh, you know who would just go with a bunch of uh, newspapers in their hands and yeah yeah give them to everybody but so do they like knock on the door and say here's your paper no they have boxes okay. but uh, in Denmark uh, it was where I was staying and where I was working as a newspaper delivery uh-huh. uh, it was mostly private houses so like four o'clock in the morning I would ride on my bicycle through some horse uh, yards and you know like in the middle of nowhere uh, and then uh, yeah I arrive at this house where uh, the owner would already be waiting for me with a cup of coffee you oh. know <laughs> at 
his doorstep, or sometimes, you know, nobody was waiting for me, so I would just put it in the post box. Oh, that's nice. Move on, yeah. In the US, we have this too. We call them paper boys. Same thing, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., right around. But instead of putting it nicely in the post box, you just throw it as hard as you can, <laughs> like, into the bush. Oh, yeah. In Denmark, this would not work at all because it rains so much. Mm. So most of owners, you know, they would find their newspapers completely wet and unreadable. Well, this happens in the US as well because people just throw it into, like, the lawn sprinkler. They just don't care at all. But it's nice that you, uh, Denmark, it seems like... Uh, they cared a little bit more about the paper. Yeah, like you have to do it properly, otherwise you get a complaint and then you get a complaint yeah. from the job. And yeah, I didn't want to lose my job. This was my only yeah. chance. So how much did it pay? Do you remember? Uh, so they paid me enough for me to pay the rent, uh-huh. uh, to have some basic food. So I couldn't go to restaurants, like forget about it. I couldn't even get a China box down the street, you uh-huh. know. So uh, and, and by China box, you mean Chinese takeout? <laughs> yeah. In Denmark, like in Copenhagen or whatever, we call it China box. Oh because my God. there's a, like a chain where you uh-huh. can basically you get a paper box yeah. full of some kind of noodles and something. That's funny. And this is like the cheapest takeaway you can get and I couldn't even afford that. Wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, when I needed, uh, I don't know, a laptop, a laptop, uh-huh. imagine that, you know, back in 2003, uh, I could work weekends and some extra, uh, take some extra routes and uh, save some money for to buy a flight home or to buy a laptop or to buy a camera. I even bought a new cell phone. Wow. Like, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, I had all these opportunities and... Uh, yeah, and this wouldn't have been possible being a newspaper delivery person in In, in Russia? Russia? No, 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 absolutely not. It was, not even in the US, to be honest. Like, you, the, the paper boys are paid so little that they would have to rob the house to afford a laptop. Yeah, there was like my first summer in Denmark and I was working uh, all weekends from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. Uh, and managed to save for a laptop really needed for school, for my studies. Yeah. Good job, hard worker. yeah. It was uh, it was tough, but it was a lot of fun as well. Okay, like, I'm really proud of having done it. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I'm sure you w- wouldn't want to do it again now. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! no. <laughs> I remember my cousin when he was listening to you know to all my stories, and uh, then he said like I would have never ever done it. Yeah, but you know what? That's why a lot of people don't get anywhere in life, or doesn't doesn't change their life because most of us are not willing to do what it takes in the beginning. You know, I think it depends a lot on the approach. Uh, I mean, I was so focused on my goal to get a good education uh, in Europe that I really didn't care about all this. this. These were all just steps on my way and I, yeah, I just didn't focus on what I had to do. I just had to do it. That's it. Nice. And what did you study? It was called multimedia design, uh, right. the program. Basically, it was consisted of four parts, uh, like 25% development, like IT, uh, 25% design, uh, 25 business, and 25 marketing. And so today you're a programmer. Yeah. So uh, in the end, you specialize in one of the four areas, and I chose programming. And this is what prepared you for your job today? Absolutely. I put like 100% uh, success. Success on that uh, program because the teachers were so good, uh, the program was so good. Like I had so much inspiration from there, and already from like fourth semester, I started working uh, in my like I moved from working as a newspaper delivery to actually uh, working as a programmer. You know, according to my profession. And when I finished, I continued studies in uh, a university uh, for a bachelor degree, but in parallel, I was already working in a company in Copenhagen, working as a web developer. 
So you were able to fully support your your life back then already. Yeah, from basically from first semester, from the second month of my life in Denmark, I was fully supporting myself. Nice. And then, how did your parents feel when you told them that? They were really happy. Uh, <laughs> of course, like the first maybe half a year, I um, lived a very basic life. So like I was basically eating rice and carrots, which were the two cheapest things I could buy in Denmark. <laughs> were you cooking them together or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was cooking rice, and then I was eating carrots as fruit and vegetables just you know fresh <laughs> so you'd have like a bowl of white rice and then like some raw carrots yeah okay. <laughs> more or less like okay i'm like, over exaggerating a little bit but like once in a while would afford a little bit of bread or <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i don't know put some onions and <laughs> okay, nice. the rice but uh, basically yeah it was uh, very very poor um, food quality or like the quality was really good it was mm. just not very diverse <laughs> mm. And when my parents figured that out, because they didn't know, like I never told them that. Like mm. uh, when they figured it out, it's like, why didn't you tell us? We would have sent you some money, you know. It's like, well, you told me you didn't have money. Like, <laughs> why would I be complaining then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I understand. You know, you don't want to put them in a bad situation because you, you know, you can survive, right? When you're young, you can kind of get by eating anything. Yeah, I also kind of realized the difference between uh, the salaries in Russia and what my parents were earning and how much money I actually need. Yeah. in Denmark for a proper life so even if they sent me like half of their salaries it wouldn't be enough for anything in wow. Denmark yeah so you were making more as a newspaper delivery bicyclist than they were as scientists than my PhD parents wow <laughs> yeah that's tough but you know it's that's also why it's so good to have this location arbitrage and go where we're treated best where we can get paid the most and develop the skills we needed exactly like I am so grateful uh, for being able to study in in Denmark and get a good education and like the job opportunities and everything there is just or at least back then it was so much better than Russia. Is it expensive to go to university in Denmark or is schooling free like in some countries? It's free, hundred percent free for all Europeans. Oh, but, but you weren't European. For us people of third world countries, it was expensive. <laughs> is Russia a third world country? Yeah. Still. <laughs> I guess no. so. Like, back in 2003, it was. Wow. <laughs> I never considered it. Like, I, I, in my mind, I think there were countries like India, Bangladesh, like most of Africa. And like, us too. <laughs> and Russia. Also, like all the problems I had with getting visas and everything. That must have been hard, yeah. Really hard. Like all the really long waiting times. And every time you had to prove like sufficient funds on your account and so many other things that, yeah, every time it, ha- it was, you know, a story. Yeah, I can imagine. But it was worth it, right? Definitely. Absolutely. I- and you knew it was going to be worth it. I didn't know anything, but I kind of just really wanted to do it, and I trusted the, that it would be possible. And now, I mean, it's still challenging, you know, for someone from a third world country or, you know, basically anywhere outside of the EU or the US to go to, uh, you know, a lot of these higher paying countries. And I, I know people even today have you know, problems with, with visas, with money, but I really believe that that is the route. I mean, not for everybody, but it is one of the proven routes where if you can, if you can learn English, you can, you know, get, start working either for a foreign company where the salaries are just higher or the customers can pay more, or you can start a business where your clients are from these countries. That's kind of what location arbitrage is, especially if you can live somewhere cheap, like Sri Lanka or Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Being able to end up in a situation 
situation uh, that we have now. I mean, like uh, earning European American money, whatever, and living in a super cheap country like Sri Lanka, enjoying the good weather, the surfing, the ocean, uh, being able to work online, and uh, having enough uh, money on the account to sustain this lifestyle for a long time. So, do you work for a company now, or are you a freelancer? I have a few clients uh, um, that I've been working with for a few years now uh, and in between projects I'm working on my own projects so both indie developer and oh yeah yeah I forgot you have a couple like web apps or no no iOS apps iOS apps yeah I'm an iOS developer so yeah okay Uh, and how much do you make from these iOS apps Mm, I would say a bit over a thousand dollars a month that's great like between one thousand and fifteen hundred in total yeah and how long did it take you to develop these apps Uh, it really depends so I had I have some apps when uh, it takes maybe one or two weeks to develop but I also have a couple of apps which took like over half a year to develop okay and of course you have to update them and you mm-hmm. know maintain them as well but that's pretty cool right knowing that you can just create something put it out there and then have this passive income from it yeah definitely like of course uh, it was much easier back in like 2011 when I started doing it now the market is quite saturated and I think you have to use a lot of I don't know money or marketing skills mm-hmm. in actually getting it out there uh, but back in the days so you just make an app put it out there never say a word about it and all of a sudden people you know, find it yeah people find it and use it but I'm sure there was other struggles back then I mean now it's so much easier to learn is it Swift? I, don't, I have no idea yeah. what no it's Swift is it? okay yay I, good I guess I don't even know why I know that <laughs> well it's funny because I don't know any of the other ones what was it before Swift? I was objective C see I've never even heard of that <laughs> I'm surprised you know Swift like that. <laughs> I, I watched the uh, WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference, just hoping that they were going to leak some uh, new iPhone or something <laughs> or a new MacBook. But I know very little about coding. Uh, I've done a, I think, uh, what was it? No, Visual Basics course when I was oh my God. In, like, in college. <laughs> so I made like a calculator once and I realized, okay, I, I can see this being interesting, but it also I don't, I don't think I have the personality to, to learn it. I think it's like, for me, it's one thing when I do not notice the time at all. So I open my laptop, I start working and I don't know, all of a sudden it's sunset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like for me, just time flies when I work. And uh, it's really weird because I never saw myself as a developer. I didn't even consider IT as an option before. I just had it as this a part of the course uh, in uh, in my Danish uh, school. Mm. And it's funny because I forget that you're a developer because like you just seem like a normal like it doesn't, you don't look <laughs> like a developer. I, I miss the glasses. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it really does show that anybody can learn this, right? Absolutely, and yeah. it's fun, and I mean, it's it gives you so many opportunities, especially nowadays when you can travel and work online. Yeah, and it pays well. And it pays well, yeah. What do you charge per hour? Uh, between sixty and hundred dollars. Wow. Depending on the project and client. So if you're working full time, like forty hours a week, how much can you make in a month? You can make over ten thousand. Sure. Oh my god. So, but it's yeah. I don't want to work that much anymore. Yeah. I used to do it, and at some point I was working like seventy. 80 hours a week but uh, which led to almost a burnout and I promised myself I would never work more than 30 hours a week <laughs> again yeah yeah that's smart it's it's nice having that freedom to be able to choose because if you need the money for some reason you could work more like if I have to to write and carrots again <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I can work more, so I can scale it up, but I'd rather not. <laughs> I wonder how many developers developers out there like could work so many more hours that they just choose not to. It's a really hard balance because on one hand, yes, uh, I told you, like I really like doing it, and uh, time flies, so it's really hard to um, you know notice this or pay attention or realize that okay, it's enough because you're in the zone and you're having fun and you know everything is great, and then all of a sudden, boom burnout mm. so it's not like you're suffering and you're you know uh, oh i gotta stop working for today like this has been enough no 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 it's like you can keep on going and going until yeah. you just crash so one day the mountain dew stops working <laughs> <laughs> all the coffee runs out <laughs> and, you, and you wake up in this dark room you're like what what happened where am i <laughs> why there's so many empty pizza boxes and cans of, of mountain dew code red <laughs> <laughs> and red bulls <laughs> Oh, I love it. If somebody wanted to kind of go this route of learning a skill, a language, would you give them any recommendations how they can get started? Would you tell them to go to university for it? Would you tell them to take an online course? Would you tell them to do a boot camp? Like, what would you tell them to do? I've never had a boot camp uh, or never tried it, but I think it would be a really good start. Uh, like, if I had to start all over again, then I would probably go for it. Uh, I don't think university is necessary uh, or like a major, whatever, a coding course. Of course, you can learn a lot from it but you don't necessarily need it to get started so maybe just uh, take some online courses and just start playing find something that you're interested in uh, i don't know pick an iphone and uh, download xcode which is a free program uh, get some videos uh, maybe sign up for a course online which costs i don't know like 50 bucks as you know yeah. maximum a- any courses that that you've uh, either went through or heard of that are good uh, I haven't really had or learned or tried any beginner courses. Mm-hmm. I was actually teaching myself at some point in, in Denmark. Um, and we had like a three-day super intensive uh, workshop or you know, course. Um, and from then on, people started just playing uh, with whatever they learned during the course. So you really don't need uh, that much to get started. Some real basics. And then it all depends on, on how interesting you find it. And if you like playing with stuff and just you know trying to discover it on your own or follow some random videos. Okay, I like it. Uh, at the last Nomad Summit in Chiang Mai, we had a speaker, a girl named Steph Smith, whose topic was how anybody can learn to code in less than one year. So if you guys are interested, you can just go on YouTube, look for Nomad Summit, Steph Smith, and watch that. There's some recommendations in there. But I think it's really cool that you've managed to kind of create your own life, move to, to Denmark. Uh, how did you, you, you learn Danish? <laughs> Oh, that was a very steep learning curve. Uh, it was nowhere near like Russian or English, mm-hmm. pronunciation-wise. I think it's like the hardest language on earth. And uh, like vocabulary and grammar was kind of similar to German, so I had an advantage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big problem there is that when you go from a classroom where you're sitting with a teacher and a bunch of other foreigners who you know can't pronounce it right, and then you go out on the street, nobody understands you. So I finished the course, uh, graduated got good grades, and then I was out on the street being completely unable of speaking, you know. (laughs) And was that course, I mean, you were learning basically, you know, design and programming. Was that in Danish from day one, or how did you even understand anything? It was in English. A lot of education programs in Denmark are in English because there are a lot of uh, foreigners Mm -hmm. studying there. And actually, a lot of teachers are uh, not from Denmark either. So uh, the course that I had at the university, it was only taught in English because like 50% of the teachers were from all over Europe. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So, so da- learning Danish was really just for 
for social life and, and living? Well, I felt like I had to learn it to, to integrate myself better in the you know Danish society, mm-hmm. and I was starting. I started to learn it from second month, I think, as soon as I realized I, I could stay there. Uh, and it took me like less than two years to complete the full course and get the you know the final Danish exam and everything. But yeah, and after that, it took me maybe another two three years to actually start speaking mm. uh, with just random people or at work or anywhere else. And, and this was a course offered by your university? No, it's uh, offered by the what do you call it? Like the city hall or basically by the government. Okay. Uh, back in the days, you had to pay a little bit for it. I don't know how it is now, but it's not very expensive. It's okay. definitely worth taking if you want to stay in Denmark long term. Uh, although there are some people, and I know a bunch of people who live in Denmark for I don't know ten plus years and still don't pick any day. All the Turkish guys. <coughs> <laughs> Mangatak. <laughs> but actually, I was looking to see if there was a similar program in Russia. I was thinking, oh, you know, what actually would be interesting is, and I, I know programs like this exist in pretty much every country. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I can go to like Moscow or St. Petersburg and learn Russian through like an actual government sponsored program. And maybe it would be either free or really cheap. You know what you should try? Uh, <laughs> this idea just crossed my mind. Um, I know that in my city in Russia, there is like a, a school where there is a teacher from, I think, England. Uh, I'm not sure, though. But he's basically doing like English uh, course in exchange for Russian course. So he's learning Russian while he's teaching English. Okay. And it's kind of an interesting... I can research a little bit more. Yeah, yeah please let me know. And if any of you guys are listening know of such a program, like, uh, send me a link. Either find me on Instagram or Facebook just look Johnny FD or Johnny FDK because I looked there was nothing I could find I, I mean there was a bunch of paid programs they're outrageously overpriced because I think if you google anything in English about like study abroad Russia or like language learning Russia you're just going to get these you know basically web marketers <laughs> these programs but there's a chance also that Russia just doesn't have it just like no we, we don't have you know like we don't care if you learn Russian <laughs> I've never heard of any like specific Russian courses in Russia. Maybe like Moscow, St. Petersburg, there should be because I mean there are quite a lot of foreigners there, but there are not so many of them in the regions, you know, outside of Moscow. Yeah, well, be interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll see if I if I get there. But right now in Sri Lanka, this is my Russian course. <laughs> or you can always go to Denmark and take a Russian course there because <laughs> I know they are for sure. <laughs> they have it there. Yeah, by the embassy. Oh, the embassy so has some Russian oh. courses. So that's it's easier to learn Russian in Denmark oh, than it is in Russia. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So, you went through went through school. You went to uh, you lived in Denmark. You got this good, created a good career for yourself. What made you start traveling? Uh, the weather, without any doubt, uh, the weather. Uh, I was the reason I started traveling, and I didn't even realize I was becoming a nomad. I didn't really know much of the concept. Uh, at that time, uh, but I was sitting in Denmark like somewhere in February, and I didn't have an opportunity to take uh, time off for vacation. But I was just in a need of some sunshine, and I decided to. I was working uh, remotely anyway, so I decided to go to Spain for a couple of weeks and at least see the sun through the window. Just at least be in a you know <laughs> better weather place because the winter in Denmark is just dull. I mean, I love Denmark; it's my country, and I really love the summers there. But the winters are tend to be very long and dull. Well, it's funny that you say February because in the U.S., or at least in California, I think of winter as November, December, and then by February it's spring and it's like you know getting sunny and warm again. But it turns out that in Europe, February is the coldest month. 
And it's the worst because, like, the winter starts kind of November, uh, but then November, December are those happy months that when you prepare for Christmas and New Year, you know, all the fun. And then January, maybe there is some snow, maybe. <laughs> but still, like, it's survivable, you know, it's bearable. But then around February, you start craving spring so much, but it's still cold, it's still dark, it's still miserable <laughs> in many ways. And the spring is nowhere near yet. And this is the month when you really want to go somewhere. February and March but like by the end of March usually the sun starts appearing and it becomes just a little bit better the hope is out there <laughs> so it was February you went to Spain where in Spain were you? I went to Tenerife oh nice Canary Islands yeah so I had the return flight uh, for yeah two weeks and then ended up staying just missing the flight and staying for two months <laughs> <laughs> because I realized I could work from there and the, the weather was good and I could just you know go to the beach in the evening after I was done with work and you know all this whole new world of opportunities opened up for me and I met some nomads and uh, after uh, Tenerife I went to Germany to meet one of my friends another digital nomad whom I met in Tenerife and then the whole story started all of a sudden before I knew it I was a digital nomad <laughs> that's cool what year was this uh, this was a bit over three years ago February 2017 mm-hmm. yeah nice and was it even that hard of a transition or were you like why did I do this earlier I didn't even have any transition because I never really you know prepared for it I never uh, I didn't have to sell all my things and you know rent out of my apartment or anything while I was away uh, a friend contacted me saying like well how, when are you coming back because like uh, I'm looking for a place to stay in Copenhagen and I stay at your apartment I'm like yeah sure it's still full of my stuff but you can stay there and yeah <laughs> it just happened you know so she started paying your rent uh, she was paying my rent, yeah, and then uh, sometime later I already went to Denmark and you know, organized it properly, but it was already when I was living the digital nomad mm. lifestyle. It wasn't before, so like I didn't have to prepare at all. <laughs> That's a good transition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, basically no transition at all. I f- I f- if I knew any-, any more about coding, I would have made some uh, transition joke there, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, do you need, I mean, to know anything about coding? You're living a pretty good lifestyle already. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I meant like, uh, is there, I don't know, is there like some like some nerdy phrase or something? Like how do you transition from like, I don't know, one line of code to next section or next page or something? I don't know. It's really hard to think of something super nerdy when I'm not talking to a nerdy person, you know? <laughs> I don't know, is it like, like, um, I don't know, close bracket, enter, something like <laughs> Next line. <laughs> you know, yeah, page break or something, <laughs> line break, I have no idea. Yeah. And so you accidentally became a digital nomad, and where, where did you go after Tenerife and Germany? Uh, then I went to Italy and Malta, and after Malta, I decided it was time to go and visit Chiang Mai. <laughs> did, have you heard a lot about Chiang Mai before then? Well, by that uh, time, I figured out uh, what digital nomad was, mm-hmm. and that the capital of digital nomads was in Thailand, so mm-hmm. I had to go and see it. <laughs> okay. And, and yeah, uh, so I went there for a month, and mm-hmm. then I moved to Colanta uh-huh. for another month, and I absolutely fell in love with Colanta. It was so beautiful and nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it reminded you of Scandinavia with all the Swedes there. 
<laughs> well, I was off season, so it okay. wasn't so many people. But we, it was a really good uh, co-working, co-living space. Mm. Co-hub, yeah. Exactly, co-hub, and I met a bunch of really cool people, and just this whole life, you know, uh, like a family. Of course, like everybody knows it, but when you have uh, a lot of uh, like-minded people, pretty much like you know the same age, similar lifestyle, and you have so many new experiences to share, and all this good life to live together, and you know, fall in love these days. I think it was first then I realized what you know this digital nomad lifestyle can offer. I love it. Yeah, I think that for anyone who's still kind of thinking about becoming a digital nomad or working remotely and you're still stuck at home, I would say that the biggest benefit isn't just the sunshine and being able to, you know, go to the beach after work or during work. It really is the community around you, like like-minded, open-minded people who are encouraging and just fun to hang out with but also it's so much inspiration yeah and like after three plus years on the road like okay you've seen a lot of beaches and a lot of palm trees and a lot of coconuts and a lot of mountains and sunsets and sunrises and a lot of other things but every time uh, you talk to and you bond with another digital nomad there is a good friendship and a lot of inspiration and a lot of uh, new experiences from there (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) no but thank you like also I, I think having you as a friend here has really helped me uh, stay a bit sane as well because everyone else I hang out with is you know basically a tourist that got stuck in Sri Lanka maybe they were a backpacker that completely ran out of money so they can't even afford to go out and eat anywhere or have a coffee out somewhere and it's a different lifestyle you know like they're fun to hang out with uh, to travel with to surf with but I can't have a real conversation with them about anything kind of long term or the future or anything which is not connected to Sri Lanka or Traveling, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or beer, (laughs) or beer, yeah. Somehow they always have money for alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, this is also surprising me. Like they have no money for food, but some money for beer, which is really expensive in Sri Lanka compared to food and everything else, right? Yeah, (laughs) I think it's priorities. Yeah, true. But also, uh, I think it, for me, what's more really important is the inspiration I get uh, from uh, yeah out of my digital nomad friends, and uh, maybe also holding myself accountable. You know, am I actually doing something, or am I just you know relaxing on the beach? You know, like all the backpackers who got stuck mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka. Yeah, and I do think there's a, there's a balance, right? Where I think if we just stayed home and worked all day, it would have been a waste of these last four or five months. But the fact is, you know, we're surfing every day, we're going out, we're exploring. And we're doing cool stuff. We're eating good food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're trying, you know, all the different restaurants and we're supporting the local economy. And we're, you know, we're doing all the tourist or backpacker things, but we also make time to be like, okay, well, I've done that. Now let me spend a few hours at a, you know, air-conditioned coffee shop or in our rooms with a nice view and just, and work for a bit. Absolutely. And also like during this really hot hours between, I don't know, 10 and maybe 2, 3 p.m., it's really hard to be outside anyway. So uh, most of the time, I would sit in an air-conditioned room or uh, in a cafe and work because I can't really do anything else. <laughs> Tell me about your typical day, like from morning to night. Ooh, um, I switched to this, uh, uh, what's it called, A-type lifestyle, you know, when I wake up super early. So uh, I really like waking up for uh, sunrise, uh, maybe like 5.30. And uh, I would go surfing, maybe 6, 8, 6, 9, uh, come back, have uh, my favorite breakfast, which I prepare myself, and that be here in Sri Lanka some uh, local fruits and curd. Uh, what kind of fruits are those? 
um, papaya, pineapple, uh, watermelon, mangoes. I love the mangoes here. Nice. And curd, for people who don't know what that is, you, you have something similar in Denmark, right? Uh, no, I've actually never tried anything. Like, well, we do have similar milk products, but the difference uh, between what we have in Denmark and what we call curd here in Sri Lanka is that I think curd is buffalo milk, right? Mm. It's not a, the cow milk as what we mostly use in Denmark. Oh, okay. Or in Russia. Yeah, there's no buffalo in Russia or Denmark. <laughs> I've never seen them. <laughs> And definitely not in these amounts as in yeah. uh, Sri Lanka, <laughs> when all of a sudden like 40 buffaloes are just walking down the street and, <laughs> yeah. and you don't know where to hide on your motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, it literally happened to me yesterday. I was driving and in front of me was a herd of 40 water buffalo coming straight at me. And luckily, you know, it's not a stampede. They, they just walk really slowly. And then I'm like, okay, I guess I can go in the other lane and try to go around them, but there's a car coming. <laughs> Let's like... Or should I just stay where I am and maybe they'll go around me? Maybe they'll destroy my motorbike? <laughs> like, just what, pretend what? you're a tree. <laughs> yeah, like what should I do? I, I'm pretty sure if I just didn't move, they'll just go around me. That might actually be a cool video. I might, I might try that once. This is what happened to me. Uh, they just walked around me. And uh, I tried to film them because I stopped them. So I pulled out my phone and tried filming. But they kind of looked like they didn't want to interact much. So <laughs> mm, Maybe they're camera shy. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But speaking of uh, video, right now, I think right when this comes out, my YouTube video of trying Sri Lankan dessert for the first time, or homemade Sri Lankan dessert, should be up on my YouTube channel. Just look for Johnny FD. And to spoil it, uh, it's homemade curd. I, with what? With honey? With mangoes. With mango. Oh my god, that sounds good. Yeah, Is it's it good. just as good as sticky rice? No. <laughs> it's different. It's different. I, I mean, it could be better in some ways, but I, the sticky, no, you just, it, the reason why it's not as good is sticky rice, which is the, the Thai dessert, if anyone isn't familiar, it, the rice itself is made with coconut milk and palm sugar or something. It's yeah. sweet. So you have, and then you have like some crunchy something on there. I don't know what it is. Some, some crunchy things on there. Uh, and then you have the fresh mango. So all that together is very sweet and delicious. The curd, at least the one I made, it was just the curd, which isn't sweet. It's like, um, how, how, do, how do you describe curd? I think also curd here in the East Coast is very different to the curd we had on the South Coast. You know, the homemade, the one you buy in pots, not the one from the supermarket. I never I never had it in the South. I was always intimidated to buy it. Oh, well, I tr- started buying it when uh, uh, we had the lockdown. Uh, yeah, from the start of the curfew, because the lines to the supermarkets were just so long, and I couldn't be bothered to stand one hour to buy, you know, just a little bit of curd. That feels like so long ago. Feels like feels you like know, two hour lines. Different lifestyle. This is like your parents talking about the USSR days, where you had to wait two hours in line to buy some milk products. Especially when you only have like six hours in total to do all the shopping and everything, mm-hmm. uh, and then you're on curfew again mm-hmm. and completely locked down for a few more days. So this is when I started buying it off local people just on the side of the road, uh, and this is where you buy, you know, the homemade uh, curd in yeah in pots. Yeah. So so explain the pot. Like it's. So what we're getting in the south, I think it was kind of yogurt, uh, something between yogurt and uh, uh, sour cream. Okay. Uh, but kind of a little bit more sweet, uh, thick in texture, uh, so thicker than the typical uh, sour cream. The one we have here in the east now is more like I don't know goat cheese or something. Yeah. It has a taste of goat cheese. Yeah, that's what, okay. I was trying to figure out what I was like. This tastes like something. I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, it's like this is the closest I can think of because the first day when I bought it. 
it here and I was like, there's something wrong with this. But then I bought it again. It's like, okay, this is not, you know, <laughs> this is just the way it is here. It's different. It's more like goat cheese. It's really good, but it's not as much of a dessert as I expected or as what I'm used to for South. Yeah, or maybe like ricotta cheese. Yeah. Something like that. Like, but I, I think like the taste is a little bit or the flavor is stronger. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Because ricotta is like, it's very smooth and very... Yeah, and it's not that smooth. Yeah. Not that. <laughs> but it's good. It's really good, but it's like, for me, uh, I prefer the South version because it was more of a dessert. It was yeah. more sweet. And here it's more, I don't know. It could be savory. Like, it, it's like something you could put on, I don't know what I would put it on, but something savory. Mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I mean, it probably, you know what? I think I'm just, in my mind, it wouldn't be good, but it probably would taste fine. <laughs> put it on some, like, put it in your borscht. Yeah, this is what I was thinking. Pilmeni, you know, the, yeah. the Russian dumplings. Yeah, actually, that would be good. It wouldn't be bad at all. So talk about what the container that it actually comes in. So it's kind of uh, ceramic, but, like, ceramics of really bad quality. I don't know, <laughs> it's super homemade. But when I think about it, like, in Denmark, this could be something of, you know, quite high price. You yeah, know? Like, yeah, like, if you were, it's a clay pot, basically. How much would that cost you if you just bought it at some home garden store in Denmark? Oh, that would be like maybe seven, eight dollars or something. Yeah, and how much is this uh, curd here? So here, the pot itself is doesn't have a price at all, right? Yeah. So you buy curd in it, which costs what one hundred rupees is fifty cents. Yes, fifty euro cents. So fifty-five US cents. Yeah, fifty-five US cents for the pot with the curd in it. I thought you had to return the the pot. Yeah, I thought so too in the beginning, and I didn't know what to do with it. So do I just throw it in the you know trash mm-hmm. or do I keep it do I wash it do I give it to somebody uh-huh. like <laughs> what happens but apparently it's just you know one time use yeah. it's crazy like it's, it's it's so insane you guys have to watch this video like I still don't know what to do with it till this day because I feel bad throwing away because it's a proper clay pot it's like something that if someone dug up a hundred years from now they're gonna be like oh this is an artifact <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've also seen people build some kind of I don't know fences or some things <laughs> in the garden you know just you know <laughs> kind of flower pot from <laughs> someone told me to use that as an ashtray <laughs> yeah I've seen people do that as well but then because of the texture it's so hard to wash it's so it. hard to wash I think that's why people throw it away because it's just hard to clean out yeah <laughs> I, I put mine in the sink of my homestay hoping that they would wash it and do something with it but I think they just threw it away <laughs> I'm guilty I just threw a few out the last few I, yeah. I used <laughs> you could have built a house with it I could have maybe I should you know collect a few more and take them to Russia <laughs> yeah sell them in Russia so like it's a Sri Lankan pot but then I should probably go to Denmark there. I can say sell for a lot. The Christmas market. <laughs> this, oh, yeah. this is how you pay for your whole trip. <laughs> it actually, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It, this is something I would, yeah, I can imagine selling at the Christmas market. <laughs> yeah, and just fill it with some yogurt, <laughs> some store-bought yogurt. <laughs> yeah, put a I don't know red ribbon around it and done. <laughs> Instead of um, a piece of newspaper and a rubber band. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. What, what do you what do you think of the food in Sri Lanka overall? Uh, I think I learned to like it uh, after all. Or maybe we found just some good places. In the beginning, I wasn't very impressed, but uh, <laughs> okay. And then on the sideline during the curfew time, uh, the cheapest and easiest uh, protein you could get was probably eggs and tuna. So I had so many tuna steaks <laughs> that I couldn't even you know think of tuna for a long time. <laughs> and I'm sure. I mean, like luxury lifestyle, yeah, right? right? I'm sure there's some people listening right now thinking like fresh tuna. Like, yeah, 
yeah, I would eat that every day. But it's so cheap here in Sri Lanka. What was it? Uh, uh, like three dollars per kilo, and it's we're two talking pounds. fresh tuna steak just out of the water that local fishermen would be selling like along the road. So yeah, uh, I cooked too much, too many tuna steaks during the curfew, so I don't really want that anymore. But there are uh, there are a number of really good local dishes like kotu, uh, like rice and curry can be also made in so many different ways. And there are some restaurants which cook really well and maybe do it a bit more European style, like a little less spicy. I like the spice. And like everything is so spicy here. So <laughs> I don't. I find I you know when people say that, but I don't find it that spicy. Remember that. Uh, triangle thing that we ate today the samosa thing yeah samosa kind of thing which I mean that's spicy this is more local style I don't know if I'm used to it because in, I feel I feel like the food in Thailand is more spicy okay I haven't been to Thailand for too long yet. yeah I think I'm just used to spicy food but it's like uh, also there is a big difference when you eat at the like, more tourist restaurant mm-hmm. or a super local place uh, then you get the real spicy food. yeah I think the hard part about Sri Lankan food is you don't the things that you don't think are going to be spicy are the ones that are the most spicy. Yeah. Especially, you know, these vegetables, they just so much... Uh, yeah. Like, you have this thing of, like, like a vegetable, like a raw vegetable kind of salad thing, like, a, it just looks like chopped herbs or something, and it's all green, and you're like, oh, okay, it's just probably some, you know, some, like a salad. And then you eat it, and you're like, oh... It's just made of chili. <laughs> this is just chopped chilies. <laughs> With some, like, like some cilantro or something. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, after all, I think now I quite like it. Yeah. I, I could stay here for a bit longer and eat local food. <laughs> yeah, I, I started liking it now too. I started appreciating it more now too. I think in the beginning, I was spoiled with how much variety that you have in like Thailand, for example. There's so many different dishes that you can order something different every day for a month and never repeat. Here, it's like the same five dishes over and over. But I realized... I really like these five dishes, so I'm actually okay with it. No, speaking about Thai food, I really miss pot. Yeah, be a, yeah, kotu is similar. Just tell them to make it earlier. And peanuts, peanuts. Oh yeah, peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your own peanuts. Just on top. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but the peanuts they sell here, there are two types. So ones are completely fresh and mm-hmm. not roasted or anything, and the other type, which is like super crazy spicy, which yeah. is called deviled peanuts. I love those. <laughs> I can't find the balance because I want something like in the middle. You know, I would like it. Uh, Maybe roasted it with a little bit of salt, but yeah, not not as deviled as the devil are. <laughs> just buy a pack of each and just make, mix, mix them, them up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Solved. Easy. So we've now both been stuck in Sri Lanka for what five months already, more or less. Uh, Did you think? Four and a half. Four and yeah. half. Yeah. Did you think that you're going to be here this long? Not at all. Uh, my plan was to be here for two months. Okay. And when I arrived, I applied for the visa extension right away, uh, and just in case, just because the price difference between two months and three months visa was zero. Yeah. Uh, I said three months for absolutely no reason, mm-hmm. uh, being sure that I would leave after month. But then we got this whole Corona situation. The we're still here, mm-hmm. almost five months later. Yeah, it's cool. But I mean, the big advantage is that, uh, okay, most of the people left, most of the tourists left, and all of a sudden, the lineups, I'm referring to surfing, are almost empty. Like, mm-hmm. this is a complete luxury. Being in Arugan Bay now, which is the surf capital of Sri Lanka, and when we think that the lineup is overcrowded, it's really not comparing to what it usually is. Yeah, and that's the reason why I decided to stay longer, is I realized that this is a very unique opportunity to be here where everything is a quarter of the price and a quarter of the people like it just you know 
I'll go to the, the, the surf site. Is that what you call it? The, the break? Surf break? Whiskey? I don't know. Just, yeah, more just like... Surf point. Surf, surf point, point. The surf point. And on a busy day, I'm like, man, there's 15 people here? That's insane. Okay, I'm just going to have a coffee and wait till people leave. And then, you know, I wait an hour. Then 10 people leave. I'm like, okay, there's five, only five people now? I'm like, okay, I'll get in queue. And even then with five people, I'm like, man, I got to wait five, you know, five waves to get my, my set, you know, my turn. I can't imagine if there was 50 people people in the water like yeah. what, do you, what like how do you even do it i just talked to a friend of mine a few days ago uh who was here uh maybe a year or two ago and says it was impossible like it was so many people in the lineup because this place is so popular mm-hmm. that uh, they had to go to the lighthouse like 45 minutes drive away because they are the last people mm. and now nobody wants to go to the lighthouse because i mean you can nobody wants to drive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need to yeah yeah so i, I recognize this as a very unique opportunity where it's never going to be this cheap again it's never going to be, uh, you know, this l- less crowded again. Accessible for us. <laughs> yeah. So if I don't take advantage of this now, I'm going to regret it in the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it also reminded me of why I stayed in the first place. I mean, I didn't know this was going to happen. This is, you know, by accident. This is maybe like being rewarded for my patience. But like a lot of people, we we had the opportunities to leave, you know, during the start of Corona. You know, I, I, I was even able to get a free flight either back home or somewhere else for, you know, emergency, like, you know, whatever. Evacuation. Evacuation, panic flying. But I chose not to do it. I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. If everyone flies, we're just spreading the corona everywhere. And then everything's fine here, so why risk moving somewhere else? And in the beginning, I I was a little bit jealous because I was like, man, there's so much freedom in uh, the U.S. and Germany. People just go out and kind of, you know, restaurants were still open, uh, supermarkets you can go to any day of the week. And here we were limited to, to go once or twice a week. And I thought, you know, man, maybe I should have left. But now that we've sat through all of it, and now it's been, you know, four months of lockdown, and they haven't let any new tourists in for four months, the people here, not only do they know we're safe because we've, there's been no new flights and no new cases actually really in the south or in uh, the east. And they're also very appreciative that there's still some tourists here to spend money because if it wasn't for us even spending the discounted rates, they would be completely screwed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm also like really happy that uh, I decided to stay. And I think after all, Sri Lanka was a really good country to spend this whole curfew and lockdown time. Uh, we were very lucky like uh, that we were staying close to the beach and we were able to surf. Uh, you were able to surf every day. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit proactive and uh, found a really good uh, hotel right next to a private beach where I was able to secretly surf uh, through the curfew mm-hmm. when technically we were not even supposed to leave our house. But it was technically part of your house. Yeah. It was technically part of my house, so I didn't feel that guilty about doing it. There's stairs that went straight from your house into the water, right? To the right. Surf point. It's insane. <laughs> and uh, yeah, surf break right in front of the house. So yeah. it was absolutely perfect. And most of the time we were like one to five people uh, surfing there so it was absolute luxury social distancing in the water yeah (laughs) but i think surfing is like the you know most corona safe sport out there because you never get too close to another person anyway unless yeah yeah, you're breaking the rules (laughs) so yeah and uh, like i've heard about so many places uh, philippines where i was just before coming to sri lanka and bali where you know the beaches are completely closed and you can't 
surf, you can't do anything. And even though you're staying in this, you know, uh, tropical paradise, but you can't really take advantage of being close to the sea. And this might be even more depressing than just, you know, <laughs> staying here. Well, it depends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first month when I was in Waligama, I was afraid to even cross the street. But also, I, my... Um, the owners of the house were like super paranoid so they you know if i was gonna leave the house they would freak out and i don't want to get them in trouble or you know freak them out so i respected it and i just stayed in my room for you know four or five days at a time but on the days out i would just quickly do my shopping not you know i wouldn't wait in line for the supermarket i would just kind of buy whatever had no line and then i'll go to the beach then i'll surf on those days and even during curfew days i had the beach view so i had the ocean view while working and that kept me sane but the last month i went i was in kavalana and there it basically also had this kind of semi-private beach and it wasn't this busy town so there was you know there wasn't locals who were everywhere so i was able to go to the beach and surf every day even during you know the 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 down days (laughs) yeah the curfew days and i think that this was the best decision ever uh they enjoy the empty beers and also that um i mean i think sri lanka handled it very well uh the whole corona situation that they locked everything down very quickly and uh, the virus didn't get spread so much mm-hmm. like there were almost no cases south just just very few and yeah. there have been no cases in east at all yeah so like in a whole country with what 23 million people uh, less than 2000 less total. than 2000 yeah. overall over all this and corona. almost all those cases came from Sri Lankans who were working abroad who panic flew back here instead of just staying where they were. Yeah. I mean, and maybe they couldn't afford to stay in like Dola or wherever they were where they were working and they had to come back, but they should have quarantined them hardcore because they were the ones that came back, skipped quarantine and then spread it everywhere. And the worst was that they were actually hiding from the police. Mm. So when the police and started looking for them, uh, they would just be hiding and not telling who they are. And yeah. by that spreading the virus even more. Yeah, and that was super selfish of them. I mean, I understand from their point of view, they're like, well, I want to go home to my family. But then the t- their entire regions of Candy and then Colombo were locked down. Like millions of people were locked down because these basically selfish assholes, they were like, well, you know, I want to go home and see my see my kids and see my family, which I understand, but it's still super selfish. You know? Yeah, so while we on the South uh, still had quite a lot of freedom, I mean, uh, where I was staying, even during the curfew days, people still still went out on the street, you know. There was some movement around, like it was a little bit further away from the main road and mm. there was no police checking. So after the first couple of weeks, people kind of relaxed a little bit and it wasn't as bad, but I've heard like Colombo situation there, it was really strict. It was so strict. Like you couldn't walk, you walk out of your front door for months, yeah. months. Food was delivered, like groceries were delivered. Well, not delivered, but they basically got like trucks driving by with different types of music you know for like here's the vegetable truck here's the rice truck here's the doll truck here's the chicken truck yeah that would be crazy to stay at home for two months and not being able to you know even go to the closest grocery shop (laughs) yeah I would have been pissed if I was there to be honest I'm so fortunate that we were by the beach yeah yeah and our Ella trip was just before the curfew so we're so lucky we managed to get back to the south and stay in these good conditions instead of being stuck somewhere in Candy where we wouldn't be able to leave the house for two months yeah that would have been that would have been tough you know so overall i think we've had a very nice covid quarantine and it's pretty much i mean it's pretty much over now like it is over now basically yeah unless the second wave uh, begins 
I think we're pretty much out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's, a, I mean, there is a ch- well, higher than ten percent chance that even by the time this episode comes out, you know, the world's going to be locked down again. It's going to hit four times as hard, and we're like, Johnny, what are you talking about? <laughs> but fingers crossed, yeah. it's over in yeah a couple of weeks time, and the world is starting to open up again. Yeah, but I mean, either that's going to happen, or you know, the thousands of people gathering together for, for protests, you know, will spike it again, right? So that there's a good chance that could have happened too so who knows right but i feel like first now i realize how hard it is to plan anything at all mm-hmm. uh like i don't know uh, you asked me half a year ago and i felt like i had a little bit of control over my mm-hmm. life but <laughs> now with the current situation when everything changes from day to day uh and i'm thinking i can't even book a flight in you know two weeks time like if you book something it has to be for pretty much tomorrow yeah. because in two weeks time nobody knows if the flights are canceled if the borders are open open or what's going on <laughs> yeah that's true I mean, 2020 is a strange year to be a nomad somebody said that you know those are the good old days of absolute freedom cheap flights easy visas just bouncing around country to country not thinking about it at all and he said that that might be over you know at least for the foreseeable future because even when the world opens back up it might not be that cheap or easy just to go to different countries anymore yeah there will definitely not be as many flights as before and many more security check health check all day so it's really hard now to plan for I don't know even September October November where to be how yeah. well whether it will be possible to go anywhere or travel around so yeah uh, <laughs> just gotta wait and see I guess yeah so if you guys are already somewhere that you like being you know congratulations stay there if you're in a place that you're unhappy either physically or job wise career wise or your life wise don't put it off anymore because life's probably not gonna get easier you know if you guys have been listening to this podcast for four years and and you're still stuck in the same job that you hate and you're you know stuck in a big city right now where the quarantine has sucked for the last couple of months you know maybe take the time to think about it but like all right well maybe you know maybe i should have done it earlier you know we can't change the past but maybe take this as an opportunity to say okay you know where do i want to be in the future like how can i make that happen and as aliona has demonstrated as as i demonstrated as the previous 250 guests have demonstrated there is an alternative to working a normal nine-to-five job staying in the the country that we were born in you know even the city or county that we were born in and never leaving even that region never learning another language never experiencing another culture you know this is your your wake up call guys so Aliona thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this thank you for being my my best friend here yay Sharanga (laughs) friends we gotta make that louder hold on Woo! (laughs) hope you guys heard that high five I hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you like this podcast do me a favor and review it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you hang out that allows people who are searching travel you know podcasts or digital nomad podcasts or location independent podcasts or whatever it is to find it uh, or just screenshot it share it with a friend share it in a Facebook group share it in your Telegram private channel <laughs> wherever you hang out Telegram <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah I, I really really hope that you guys are good and are happy wherever you are and hopefully we'll see you next week summer soon maybe in person maybe in georgia we'll see let's see things open up but um love you guys and talk to you soon bye-bye thank you for listening to the travel like a boss podcast if you want to hear more including the bonus how to choose the perfect niche episode join our mailing list at travel like a boss podcast.com see you next week and remember if you want to travel like a boss you need to be your own boss so start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of